Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded, you know, hither and yon across the, <laughs> across the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, you know, and, and occasionally, well, back in the before times, it was at the office, but you know, well, that's in the before times. Anyway, I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic PW's Comics and Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of ComicsBeat.com, and you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes, and on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can rate us, you can give us a comment, you can send us email, you can na- angrily name us on Twitter. Please give us some fa- feedback because we love to hear from our listeners. Come on, join the cult of more to come. Or not. Tell, let us know. <laughs> All right. Anyway, this week on More to Come, Marvel switches distribution to Penguin Random House whoop, Publisher whoop. Services. Whoop, whoop. Say it again. Anyway, and... A year ago, almost exactly a year ago, Diamond shut down its warehouse. It's, it, well, it shut down its deliveries. Um, SNS is looming. Rocket ship is launching. Keanu goes berserk. Oh, the Snyder cut. Oh, and, 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 and I should say, I, I transposed. It should be Justice Department investigates Crunchyroll and then the Snyder cut. And face it, Tagger, you just hit the jackpot. This might be the juiciest episode of More to Come of all times. Of all times. There you go. It's, this is More to Come concentrate. Anyway, oh I mean, God. where do we okay. begin? Uh, I mean, listeners, just to give you an idea of the mood that Heidi's in, her background on Skype right now is this like – it's psychedelic a, neon fantasia. It's, a, it's an acid trip. It's you a know, straight you up guys, acid trip. So Calvin and I have both had, this is one of the biggest news days in a long time. Wow. A long, this is a day long foreseen by the Empire. Um, uh, anyway, so we are a little punchy. Um, I'm sure like Calvin, I've been on DMs and uh, email, DMs, yeah. IMs, I've texting. Phone calling, calls, phone talking calls. to people. All freaking day, and uh, you know, um, I might have had a frosty one earlier, but uh, yeah, this is this is it, man. Marvel has pulled the trigger, and and ironically, as you mentioned, a year to the week, yeah, shut down yeah. during the pandemic. Marvel <clears throat> has moved its comics and graphic novel distribution for the direct market to Penguin Random House. Uh, I mean. I- I'm still still kind of reeling. <clears throat> I'm one of the people, uh, kind of book trade guy, that I've said in a number of late night bar settings, really just sort of, I'm really kind of laughing at the idea that Penguin Random House <laughs> would want to distribute periodical comics. Right. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Um, and we're all here sitting here reeling. To try to try to gather in all of the implications of what this means. One thing it means, it, it, it possibly means is that Diamond hasn't gone away completely, 
but what, but it has shifted into a new relationship, uh, with Marvel as well as with, uh, you know, its former clients in the, in the retail community. This, this is set, I mean, you know, Steve Jeffy, the owner of Diamond, the founder mm-hmm. of Diamond, uh, the core, the most powerful man in comics for many years, you know, he put out a brave statement. Uh, about, you know, uh, Di- Diamond is still going to be able to offer comics to Marvel comics to retailers via, uh, as a wholesaler. Uh, you know, I said put out a brave statement. Um, actually, let me read some of this brave statement because it's kind of, um, you know, touching. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, we value our almost 40 year relationship with Marvel and are pleased that we will continue selling Marvel products to the direct market and other channels. The change Marvel announced today represents a behind the scenes shift in how Diamond interacts with Marvel for certain products, but does that impact our ability to supply our customers with Marvel comics, trades, and graphic novels? Brave. That's brave words. You know, Steve will go down fighting and, you know, listen, yeah. he is, uh, you know, I, I've said this a million times on this podcast and everywhere. Look, Diamond is a benevolent dictator and they're very passionate about comics. Yes. Um, they do not, you know, they're not greedy. I, I, honestly, I could say that. They're middlemen. You know, yeah. they might have made a couple of moves that, you know what? They didn't update fast enough. They didn't update. I mean, that's, they didn't update. that seems that's to be it. what I, I'm hearing. Yes. Is that they, you know, I mean, people sort of like the people at Diamond. But they just feel like the strategic decisions that they make fall short. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I wrote this when D.C., you know, a year ago when D.C., uh, Diamond announced their shutdown. And a few weeks later, D.C. is like, oh, we're going to get two new distributors. And, you know, I wrote a long story about it. And, and you know, this – I'll tell you this one fact. Why did Marvel leave uh, Diamond? To go to Pen- Penguin Random House, you know, I mean, Penguin, PRH is huge. They're the biggest yes. book distributor. Uh, they're huge. They have a ginormous infrastructure. We'll get to yes. that. But as I was researching my story about Diamond, you know, I'd heard this rumor that Diamond, as of two years ago, was using Windows 97. <laughs> yes, I know. There were, yeah. Software. <laughs> and I asked Diamond employees, is this true? And they said it is true. They did not update their their Windows software for twenty <laughs> freaking years. Uh, Windows yeah. ninety seven. <laughs> yes, it's the fact. It's so, it's crazy, y'all. So, what you said, listeners, sure. they have not updated their software since I was beginning high school. Well, they did update it a few years ago. They had to because so uh, the security, like if you might recall, the Diamond website kept going down and getting hacked. It's because they were using outdated software. So they did update the current Windows two years ago. But as of two years ago, they were using more than 20-year-old software. And it's indicative of a general. It's indicative of a general. I've heard, this, I've heard this over and over again that yeah. Diamond did not believe in updating and upgrading. And look, I get it. It's expensive. Okay, you know Diamond has been trying to launch Pullbox, a new software that would allow retailers, customers, to order their comics and a pre-ordering system. That has been in the works for at least three years. Three years, you couldn't do a software. It's and it's not like crazy. it was an unusual software because literally it's just an ordering system. It, it, almost any website has it. Yeah. Now, Calvin, you're yes. a book. You're a book guy. I'm Tell book. us what does Penguin Random House offer? Wow, they offer a state of the art um, 
infrastructure, distribution infrastructure, uh, in their software, in their, uh, their, their distribution facilities. Uh, they're, they're building a new distribution facility and building a, a building in Maryland, in their, miles not from far from Diamond, apparently. Uh, they're building out a section especially, uh, designed for the direct market. Uh, they have been cultivating, uh, uh, comics publishers as clients aggressively for probably about the last 15 years. And let me just read, I'm sure Calvin and I have both been in touch with people at Penguin Roundhouse to get, you know, um, background information, but let me just read one little part. Uh, PRH is forming a new, dedicated Penguin Random House direct comic market team. Yep. It will be headed by PRH sales veteran Tyne Hunter, who has been promoted to associate director, comic market sales, Penguin Random House. Hunter has already been working on helping prepare platforms, terms, and communication plans focused on the direct comic market. And let me tell you, they sent out an email to retailers today uh, that had, you know, an FAQ. I think, yep. Calvin, you've seen it I've as seen well. It. I've seen uh, it. And it is insanely thorough. It is insanely <laughs> yes. professional. It is state of the art. They're they going to do a version. Money. They're going to do a version of previews. <laughs> Random House is going to do a version of previews, uh, maybe yeah. online or something. But yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, now, uh, now let's let's be uh, let's be clear. Random House is no stranger to comics publishing. Yes. Uh, in, in addition to publishing. Uh, comics itself, they distribute Archie Comics, <coughs> DC Comics, Dark Horse, uh, a bunch more, Kadancha, um, uh, IDW, uh, and some very small ones too, Catapult, which does graphic, graphic novels. Uh, I'm leaving uh, Titan. They do Titan, you know, Titan does a variety of books. Square yeah. Enix is published through them. I mean, I could go on and on. <coughs> Excuse me. So, they're no stranger to the to the category, um, uh, but this is where the plot thickens. Woo! Um, okay, uh, Diamond has lost its two biggest accounts. Uh, these yeah. accounts, at the same time, are two pillars of the direct market. What does this mean? What does this mean for the direct market going forward? Uh, what does it mean for comics publishers? Looking to looking for a, di- a distributor, and what does it mean for the clients uh, that Random House already has? Excuse me, Penguin Random House already has, where they only dis- distribute their book products to the book trade. How long do you think before they want their periodicals uh, distributed by the same um, vendor? Yeah, uh, I don't know. When contracts run out, that might have something to do with it, but you can't tell me it's not coming. So, yes. And so, okay. So here's three things. First off, um, you know, DC, let's go back. DC is not distributed by Diamond anymore. They were distributed by two companies, Lunar and uh, DCBS. I always get the name wrong. It was with UCS. And and UCS, right. Uh, Yeah, UCS and Lunar. Uh, and they're no longer distributed by UCS, which is Midtown Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they're still using Lunar. Lunar is their number one distributor. Now, they don't have – they, they, DC does not have a dis- exclusive with Lunar. They mm-hmm. could easily go to Penguin Random House. And the scuttlebutt that Calvin probably has heard is that 
DC actually tried to get Random House mm-hmm. to distribute their periodicals a year ago when they were they've been trying for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like Random House has been looking into this for years. Yeah. Okay. They they know. And I've I've said this on this podcast before. It's like, hey, would you like to have a market of two thousand independent bookstores that sell your product yeah. on a non returnable basis? Yes. yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I would. Yes. Um it's not rocket science why they wanted to get into comic shops. Non returnable. Non returnable. Yeah. That's gold. Um so um although let's say, you know, during the pandemic era a lot of publishers have become returnable like Boom and Dynamite mm-hmm. and a lot of them. So, you know, more to come on that. Yeah. But um but yeah, D C wanted Penguin Random House to do this for whatever reason it didn't happen. Uh, I totally expect in about you know six months, I, I say six months at the outside, DC to announce they are going with Penguin Random House, so you can get the Europe their periodicals mm-hmm. through them as well. This is a no brainer. This is definitely going to happen. It, it, yeah, I can't believe, and and I think we're going to see you know publishers like you know uh, uh, what Dark Horse and IDW. Well, follow they suit. have they have <laughs> contracts, but they yeah. have contracts. I'm sorry, Kate, yeah. well, you're trying to put in here. Yeah. I'm sorry, Kate. So what I was going to ask is, what do you think this is going to do to Lunar? I mean, DC <laughs> got these two, basically, comic stores to build out the ability to distribute DC for them. And now DC is possibly. Thank you, Next. Possibly. Thank you, Nexting them. So... I've said here many times that distributing periodical comics is a very, very low margin deal. Okay. And that's yeah. why nobody, that's probably why PRH didn't want to get into it before. Okay. Obviously distributing graphic novels are a higher ticket. You know, Marvel puts out a lot of perennial sellers, which I'll get to. There's more to the, more about that. But, um, you know, Lunar, I don't know. They, you know, Lunar is UCB, UCBS, which is, um, or DCBS, which is a huge website that already sells tons of comics, okay? Uh, so they already sell a lot of periodical comics. They might stick with it. A couple of smaller publishers have gone with Lunar. Uh, I believe Scout has gone with them. Very small publisher, but significant. Um, so I expect that we will see a non-exclusive era. I expect that as these deals run out and people move, to probably PRH, but they're probably not going to sign. I don't think anyone's ever going to sign an exclusive again. You know, I mean, PRH is such an 800 or 8,000 pound gorilla in this field. They don't, they don't need to worry about exclusives. I don't think. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, it's an unusual kind of concept. So I, I, I'm not sure, but yeah, so I think you're probably right. But I don't, I don't think publishers would ever go for, you know, like yeah. I think if there's this, this multi-playing field, I don't think they'd, they'd go for it. And, um, you, you, you know, part, look, there's two fun facts that these are not public knowledge. Okay. So this is Heidi's secret insider knowledge, uh, or I've been told. Well, the first one I've had confirmed by a couple of sources. Now, Marvel is sticking with Hachette. For their bookstore yes. distribution, yeah, we should emphasize that, mm-hmm. right? We should emphasize that. So basically, if you are a bookstore and want to buy returnable, you can go through Hachette, which is Calvin. Who owns Hachette? Uh, it's a giant. Oh, well, it's it's a it's a big. Well, no, it's not. Hachette is a name, but I I'm forgetting the name of the gigantic. Right, uh, but they're th- one of the few remaining publishers that isn't, you know, yeah, Sia Random House or Simon & Schuster. I or, mean, Hachette is the name of a giant French yes, publishing, giant but French I think publishing. it's owned – oh, uh, Lagardere, the Lagardere oh, right. Group. Okay. 
Right. But I mean, you know, they're a publisher. They have imprints. You know, yeah. it's, another, mm-hmm. it's another one of the big publishers. Yeah, okay. it's one of the big five. So, yeah, so it's one of the big five, which might be big four, as we'll get to. But um, uh, <laughs> True. So then, now why are they still going through Hachette? So I am told that when DC went with Random House for their bookstore distribution back in the day, probably about – I think it was 13 years ago probably. Like that, back yeah. in the aughts, right? The late aughts, mm-hmm. like 2006, 2007, something like that, that they put a clause into there that Penguin Random House could not distribute – Marvel to bookstores. Huh. In their contract with Hachette? No, in their contract with Random DC's. Oh, DC. Oh, excuse me. DC. Random oh. House, which, which they hadn't bought Penguin then. Oh. Was that they could not distribute Hachette. They could not distribute Marvel. Oh. So that, I've been told this by a couple of people. Sounds a lot. Sounds kind of. Yeah. So, so instead, they, so they can't. Um, you know, consolidate everything under Penguin Random House because of their DC deal is what I've been told. So, huh. ooh, juicy. So, so then also, do you think like Ingram is going to try to get into the business? I mean, like now that Penguin Random House is, you know, dipping their toes in the direct market, do you think anybody else is going to be going for it or trying to get some of that sweet, sweet graphic novel pie? <laughs> Well, I think that's what everyone's trying to figure out now. Um, uh, is 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 Penguin Random House entering the direct market to just suck up more clients um, into mm. this marketplace? Uh, we don't know, uh, but we do know that they have direct market clients that they don't, you know, that they don't uh, uh, distribute into the direct market for. They, you know, they distribute them into the book trade. So what this means down the road is anybody's guess. So, however, and, you know, I'm jumping a little but ahead I, I think in we our story talked about list. this last time, um, that Simon & Schuster has been yeah. scooping up small publisher after small publisher for to distribute their graphic novels to the book trade. To the book trade, okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, Ahoy, Heavy Metal, um, Ball, yeah. I mean, just tons, tons and tons. So, which is very healthy. Look, you know, the the bottom line, Kate, and all of this is traditional publishers that Calvin and I have been covering. You know, I've been covering it a mere yeah. 20 years. Calvin's been covering it mm-hmm. since, you know, <laughs> Joe Biden since was a child. Before his hair was gray. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they want graphic novels. They see money in it and they want to be in this business. Okay. Um, so, but the joker in the deck is that Penguin Ram House is trying to buy Simon & Schuster. Yeah. And so it, it really, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say because, I mean, clearly uh, they're in the verge of getting new distribution clients, <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of them, um, you know, in this otherwise indirect way. So there's much more news to come on this down the road. Um, uh, by most accounts, uh, this acquisition will go through sometime later this year, I think. Um, but, you know, different people in the industry, uh, the Authors Guild, for instance, uh, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, and my, did the ABA, I forget, does several organizations have kind of submitted um, appeals to uh, the Justice Department that this is, you know, we're creating a monopoly, that it will, re, you know, be uh, kill competition. But, I, man, I would be shocked if this was not approved. Yeah, but uh, I, I would, I don't know. I mean, I would think that 
Penguin Random House buying Simon & Schuster would be a huge market disruptor. Well, we'll see. I mean, my point is that, um, first of all, I doubt that consumers would ever notice it. Uh, the, no, the no, biggest consumers objection, will never consumers it. will never notice it. Uh, I doubt it would affect prices, really. Could be wrong about that on the ebook side. Um, oh, it could definitely affect prices. Uh, what it will affect or could possibly affect are the size of advances to authors, yes. which is why the, the yes. Authors Guild is not, because there's basically fewer imprints to bid, to bid on a book. Right, uh, and then, then there's going to be some consolidation. There's always and, consolidation, and there's true. And going to be, I think, in any one niche, fewer books bought because they're not going to want to compete with themselves. Yeah, I mean – I, I, I'll say this about fewer books bought. I don't know about that because, you know, these two publishing houses, they publish thousands of books a year. Uh, and the idea is almost never to publish fewer books. <laughs> right. Now, they, now, the idea is very often to publish more books with fewer people. Um, and I think we're going to see layoffs if this goes through. Uh, so we'll see about that. Uh, I, although I think that these giant companies in publishing have, over the last few years of acquisitions, there are layoffs, but you know what they do? They string them out over, mm -hmm. I mean, a year or maybe even two years. It's not the kind of um, personnel dump that we used to see in the old days of acquisitions. So, I mean, you may not see, uh, you know, there, this thing could go through and you may not see a layoff for six months. And then they'll just, you know, a few people will be let go over a course of time. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we'll see. I mean, I honestly, I've seen some gigantic. I mean, look, uh, Penguin and Random House joining. I mean, right. that's that was mammoth. That was they, you know, Random House was mammoth before it became Penguin Random House, and you know there there was no there was no chance that it was going to uh, be blocked, and it wasn't. So yeah, we'll it wasn't. But now it's twice as big as it was. Well, we have a story later that the, you know uh, the Justice we'll get to discussing, but you know the Justice Department yeah. is is, is uh, investigating. Yeah. Uh, you know, AT and T selling Crunchyroll, and because Sony now has a monopoly, so I don't know. You know, there's a new sheriff in town, so we'll see. Um, but but I think Calvin's probably right. You know, big business will win out, and you know if. PRH does acquire Simon Schuster. They will own. They will have the you know this this portfolio of of distribution for graphic novels. It's just vast. It's vast, you know? absolutely. It's just huge, much. huge. And you know, is a new <coughs> monopoly? Yes, kind of. You know, so look, am I thrilled with a giant you know multinational corporation owning all of this distribution? No, I'm not. You know, I would be really great to have some kind of competition. Um, you know, competition really is healthy for any market. Um, so, uh, you know, but I will say, um, you know, Pangorana, that they, you know, they did a kind of a little pitch to, um, to retailers that, um, 
you know, uh, I'll just read one, one, uh, Penguin Random House aims to be the best distribution partner for the direct market. You are the epicenter for pop culture in your communities, and we want to better support all areas of your business. We will provide you with a top-notch supply chain, customer service support, and increase your access to our books, marketing and promotion campaigns, and publishers. The goal is to work together to grow your business and legacy. I love that they use the word legacy because that is a key word for comics retailers. And, you know, look, they are building this new facility. They have a whole new staff. Um, they, why are they doing this? Because they can make money. They're they not can make doing money. it altruistically. They're doing it. Uh, okay. By the way. And they make money by customer service. Right. They the, believe that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And by the way, we keep talking about Diamond and DC. I mean, Diamond, DC, and uh, Prager Red House. We haven't even talked about Marvel. Why is Marvel <laughs> doing this? Okay. Well, I think one thing we should also be clear is that Diamond remains uh, in, uh, um, Remains in this, uh, in the yes. direct market. Yes. Uh, uh, and they're taking on an, an interesting new kind of role because they, you can, you know, retailers can continue to order from, from Diamond, uh, in some ways. And we talked about this, Heidi. They're, they, they seem to be in a kind of Ingram, uh, position where they're a kind of a wholesaler that's available to anybody, but they're getting their stock. Their Marvel stock from Penguin Random House. They're not getting it directly from Marvel. Right. So uh, we're going to see how that affects everything, including discounts. Well, okay. So they have announced their discounts uh, in this 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 FAQ. They this incredibly thorough FAQ that they put out. Um, basically. Uh, the discount will be across the board 50%. Now, Diamond Order uh, offered sliding discounts, okay? If you were a small shop, maybe your discount was 45%. If you were Midtown Comics, maybe your discount was 55%, okay? So so this is a cut for – this is not as attractive for some people. Uh, you're going to pay more for the comics. However uh, – and this is, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. You know, Brian Hibbs, the, my retailer columnist for The Beat, has been talking about this for years. Um Penguin Ram House offers free shipping, as all <laughs> yeah. book distributors do, whereas Diamond, Nickel, and Dime do on the shipping. And, in fact, mm-hmm. you know, Brian, uh, he has a big post up on Facebook, and Calvin read it. And uh, let me just read you the first sentence of this. <laughs> I switched every graphic novel I could, DC, Dark Horse, Kadansha, IDW, Archie, Nobrow, Titan, Vertical, plus all imprints of PRH itself and many more over to PRH more than a year ago and have never looked back. This is free freight, y'all. Free this is largely over the cost of freight at Diamond. So, and what have been one of the big complaints that that I hear coming out of the Lunar? In fact, I think that Brian was talking about it when we did mm-hmm. uh, the on-air interview with him. Shipping charges. Yep, shipping. Yeah, and comic stores, not all of them, but most of them, are run on a thin margin. Yes, they are. Yes, and you know. Recurring shipping charges can be a big expense. Recurring and escalating shipping costs. So so just to kind of, you know, like I said, we haven't even talked about why did Marvel do this. Like Marvel, you know, look, I go back, I keep echoing in my head what Diane Nelson, the former head of DC Comics, wrote Mm -hmm. in a now-deleted Facebook post when DC left Diamond. It was like, you know, I can see why they might leave a company that, is you know what? Let me let me see if I can find the exact words that she used. Uh, uh, because it was it's just so worth quoting. Um, yes. Uh, 
I could say purely as a private individual that Diamond has for a long time been unwilling or unable to modernize and support and grow the biz as needed for a healthy direct channel hmm. and may not even be solvent. Hmm. I think that says it all. And, you know, like we're looking back at a year later. I mean, yeah, Marvel wasn't happy either. I mean, I heard they were talking mm-hmm. to Simon Schuster. They were talking to Random House right. about their periodicals. And now they pulled the trigger on it. Also, mm. okay, what is the biggest pop culture brand existing in the world of this earth, Terra, in the year 2021? Disney? Disney. Which owns? Marvel. Yes. <laughs> and I would argue that the MCU is probably the biggest brand at Disney. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see where you're going here. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, you know, there. that's like the, um, what's that, the, the unity there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there's there's three cosmic boxes you you. Yes, yes, the mother boxes. Well, yeah, we, we, we actually should probably move on. We have so much to talk about this episode. <laughs> we'll but, uh, but, but, yeah, just real quick. <clears throat> It's like, hey, guess what? The MCU was has been gone for a year because of, uh, hey, remember that COVID thing we've been talking about? Uh, you know, they just came back with WandaVision. And guess what? It caught the world's imagination. Falcon and Winter Soldier had even higher. Uh, you know, we're Black Widow's finally coming out. Hey, baby, the MCU is back. Um, and so, yeah, why wouldn't Penguin Random House want to have the hottest brand in entertainment? Now, I mentioned this in my story. Again, not a secret, but... Um, you know, Marvel does not reprint their graph. They don't keep them in print. They don't keep them in yep. print. That's an Ike thing. He doesn't think you should carry inventory. Mm-hmm. And so when WandaVision came out, I'm sure Marvel did a healthy printing of all the books, you know, the Tom King one, Gabriel Walta, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, House of M. I mean, all of these books that directly, uh, related to Wanda and, uh, you know, Scarlet Witch and Vision story. And guess what? They sold out by the, uh, like the end of February, they were mm. out of print and not back in print until April. Um, hmm. So that's very typical. I mean, Marvel has been better about it, but they run out of print. Now, I do think that's part of the thing. I think because Random House is so huge, they're going to be able to you, do some kind of warehousing in order to keep these books in print in a better way. Because if Marvel could keep their books in print – uh, so that you could just order it, whatever, uh, they would be enormous. You know, it's just a no brainer. People yeah. love Marvel characters and want to read these comics. Yeah. And, and that's been a long running complaint about, uh, getting, you know, uh, backlist Marvel titles, getting, uh, getting them to go back to press. Uh, I, it'll be interesting to see if, 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 if Penguin Random House can have some impact on that for sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, just looking back, just just moving on, um, you know, mm. March 23rd uh, was the mm-hmm. one-year anniversary of when that day that Diamond announced that they would be ceasing shipping of new product. They would continue to service back issues from their uh, warehouse, but, it, you know, because of COVID. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty reasonable. I mean, we were all pretty mm-hmm. shell-shocked at this week. I mean, we're all adapting to that hellish time. Um, so I ran a story on the beat. I asked some retailers. You know, I reached out to a lot of retailers. About six of them responded. But they responded with these very long, heartfelt yes. stories. And, um, you know, they all adapted. They were all resilient and passionate. They adapted. Um, you know, they used um, – Online sales, all of them. Yes. They didn't have a website. They suddenly had a website where they could sell comics. So interestingly, one little time back to a Penguin Red House, a couple of them told me that they'd set up Shopify stores, which is, you mm-hmm. know, a, a, an online selling platform. And Diamond 
had made tools available for them. So all they had to do was plug in their diamond codes and it would populate their Shopify store. So this is actually a concern mm-hmm. for retail, the random house. The random house is that, oh, we're going to try to make all the data so that, you know, you can just plug in your random house codes and it will populate. But, you know, I mean, these are the little things that, even though in the big picture it's very clear what the advantages that Random House has, but there's a lot of little details that are, oh, we're going to hear about them for the next six months for sure. Well, that's for sure. And on that same note, <clears throat> I just finished editing uh, uh, Shannon O'Leary's annual um, piece on the uh, on comics retailing. And so she's looked at, uh, she's talked with, I don't know, about eight publishers this year. I mean, we, we've talked to some before. It's Brian Hibbs in San Francisco. Um, uh, it's Earth 2 in Sherman Oaks. Forbidden Planet here in New York City. Velocity Comics in Richmond. There's also Powell City Books in Portland. Quimby's in Chicago. Atomic Books in Baltimore. And what we heard back, and the piece is going to be called Surviving a, P- a Pandemic. You know, comics re- retails look back on a tough year and on what they've learned. And many of the same things that you uh, talk about in your piece is what Shannon heard too. Uh, uh, a huge spike in demand for manga. Uh, 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 nimble pivoting to online, uh, using Shopify, you know, anything. Uh, it, getting online. Upgrading their websites when they when they uh, had maybe underperforming ones, uh, and uh, or or uh, getting one to get getting one for the first time. Um, online selling was critical. Uh, there's there's different reactions to um, uh, Diamond shutdown and DC's uh, you know distribution switch. Uh, but through uh, but as they come out, hopefully on the other side of this. You know, the retailers are, they're cautiously, cautiously optimistic. They're looking to, looking as more people are being vaccinated. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, this is just a resilient industry and, you know, they're looking to do what they do, deliver, deliver, deliver to their consumers what they, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, I, yes. And I, I think it's, you know, it's funny because I actually reached out to a bunch of the retailers that you just mentioned and, you know, they didn't get back to me, but uh, it's like they all have their story to tell, right? Like, yeah. And, um, it is, I think, I think the industry has actually become a little, um, well, I think they've gained some self-confidence out of this. You know, I think they've learned that how strong they really are. Uh, yeah, I, I think mean, there's so. a real resilience that it shows. I mean, I, I had no idea they'd do as well. I'm really glad. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just happy to see that m- most of these stores who were in our feature last year, are still here to talk to us a year later. Yes. Uh, now, because some of them really, really had went through hell. Now, here's a little tittle, tittle bit, though. Um, and, you know, there is no question to me. I mean, you can listen to our podcast from a year ago and see, you know, hear me and Kate and Calvin just, like, obsessing over this diamond shutdown. Um, and, you know, at the time I said it then, I'll say it now. It's like, you know, hey, yes, it was a pandemic and, uh, you know, retail was shut down for over most of the United States. However, you could still buy things, but you couldn't buy periodical comics. You yeah. could buy food. You could buy clothes. You could buy shoes, whether you wanted to or not. You know, I mean, Amazon had shut down non-essentials. But, you know, essentially you could still buy everything. 
but you couldn't buy periodical comics. And for sure that made Marvel and DC both be like, what the hell, people? Now, here's the thing that I learned, um, or I've heard. This is sort of um, – I've heard – I've mentioned this on here before, but you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Diamond changed its whole, uh, structure, restructured, uh, as Jeppy Family Enterprises. They put all of the, the companies owned by Steve Jeppy under this Jeppy Family Enterprises, and they hired this guy, Stan Heideman, to kind of run them. Uh, he came from like the beverage business, like finance, Pepsi or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a bit of a heart. I mean, he, I, I got the impression he was kind of bought in to cut, trim the fat. There was a lot of layoffs at Diamond over the time. Um, you know, a lot of businesses were consolidated. Uh, hey, Diamond Select, uh, you know, what happened to you? Uh, and so on. And, um, <laughs> but I've been told that he is actually the one who said we need to shut down. That it was kind of his idea. It wasn't hmm. Steve Jeppy's idea. And, you know, very soon, um, like, like, Heidemann was gone, and, you know, mm-hmm. like, as, as Diamond was coming out of their shutdown, you know, you might recall Jeppy went on this huge, you know, charm tour, you know, he was doing live, live streams yeah. and doing interviews, and really, you know, he said that the comeback will be bigger than the setback, and you know what, he was right, he was right about that, comics did bounce back, yeah. bigger, bigger than before, to be honest, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the year we're reading was really, um, really, um, elevated, so, um, you know, I, I, I've heard this, uh, from a good source, and if it's true, it does show, you know, I, I do think if Diamond had not shut down, which it would have been very difficult, they obviously would have had to make changes to how they did business during the pandemic, as we all did, but if they hadn't had this big shutdown, you know, um, I don't know, I don't, you know, I think that was a bad move for them. Well, yeah, now I will say this, a, a number, of, I think it was, although a number of our, the, the retailers in our feature, um, they actually felt that they they weren't they weren't happy about it, but they weren't necessarily hurt by it because since they were closed, right. they and some of them felt like it was it was better this way. That uh, it, what would happen to stores that mi- missed out on months of sales when other stores just did just fine? Yeah, so I I true. don't know, but this was, yeah. this is expressed by some of that no. they were perfectly happy to not have stuff delivered. That they couldn't have sold anyway. Yeah. No, I'm not saying it was entire look. Yeah. I understand why they did it. I understand there were reasons they had to do it. And, you know. The, but that's the, one the, side. There were plenty of other retailers who were open every day and were pissed. Well, and there's also, like, look, publishers would have had to have a slowdown. No question about it. They absolutely yeah. would have had to have a slowdown. No yeah. question. But, uh, you know, it. listen, it happened the way it happened. And here we are. Diamond doesn't have yeah. Marvel or DC. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's well, kind of where it's headed. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wonder if why Marvel took a year is that they were giving Diamond some time to see if they would do, I don't know, anything to prevent something similar like this happening again. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like, like, uh, ICV2 ran a big long interview with uh, Steve Jeppy about it, you know, during all this mm-hmm. a year ago. Mm-hmm. And he's quite candid, you know, he didn't, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he said people were coming to him, like, you know, their number one complaint was the shipping charges. And he's like, oh, I'll have to look into that, you know. And look, um, respect to Diamond. I said this at the top, respect to Steve yeah. Jeppy, respect yeah. to Chris Powell, respect to all the people at Diamond. 
um, hard workers, passionate about comics, um, uh, you know, retailers, trusted friends, help them out to help them survive this pandemic. You know, they've done a lot for this industry. I'm not here to bury them at all. Um, you know, uh, and you know, there's a lot of good and there's a lot, you know, they're, they're insiders. Um, but I, I think Diane Nelson was right. I think they just didn't modernize fast enough. Mm-hmm. In a world yeah. that was rapidly shifting, they didn't. They were not nimble. Diamond was not nimble, and that has cost them. Hmm. I mean, it's very interesting how you frame it because, really, I mean, obviously, comics people complain about a diamond, but you know, in the same breath, they also really praise Diamond because mm-hmm. Diamond he d- delivers product on a on a basis that the stores want and need. Yeah, and when they do do it, they do it really well. But um, there's other issues as well. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I'm sure I, – I'm curious. i got to find out about this Tyne Hunter who will be the, you know, uh, running this the comic book services. Oh, yeah, running them. Because, yeah. you know, look, they need a lot of hand-holding. Comics mm-hmm. retailers need a lot of hand-holding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, I think a Random House knows that. But um, And then this is following where all of these long-time – Salespeople were just laid off at DC, right? And I yes. don't think I don't think anybody's picking up picking up the phone at Lunar. Mm. Yeah, but you're going to have with Random House, you're going to have uh, you know a sales rep that you can call when you are not happy or when you are happy with right. something. Um, yeah. So anyway, more to come. These are our punchy thoughts about this. Um, you know, seismic change in the industry. Will the comics be fine? Yes, they will. And uh, everybody said that to me. Norman's like, comics are dead, retailing is dead, the direct market is dead. Nobody said that today. Yeah, nobody said that. Everybody was just like, no, because changes. Ah, oi. This this is a. This is there's some kind of seismic shift going on. Yes. And if the Penguin Random House is in the middle of it, um, you know, we should we should all be paying attention, and we are. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so, okay, another, but meanwhile, on the hmm. rest of the world, there's more comics, there's more publishers, you know, I mean, that's the thing, it's like, it's so vibrant right now, everything. So I, I had another story at the beat this week where I interviewed Tom Akel, uh, formerly of Webtoon, he was the content director there, uh, you know, did a long history of Icom, I mean, Tom is a digital comics guru, he knows all about that, and uh, he talked about his new publishing company, Rocket Ship, mm-hmm. which as I said, in the, you know, like, you know, Tom and I are friends, and we were talking during the pandemic, he said, oh yeah, I have a, com- a publishing company, I was like, you do? <laughs> and I was shocked, because I hadn't heard a word about it, but anyway, he has a publishing company, Rocket Ship Entertainment, and his model is that he finds web comics that are popular, that don't have print deals, and then he kickstarts a print collection of them, and uh, that's it. That's how he does it. It's like it's fucking brilliant, basically. (laughs) It's it's like print money. Because look, I mean, the web comics. Because I didn't know anything about this either, and you mentioned it to me, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and I read the story. But this rocket ship, they they do print versions of online comics, web comics, um, and they seem to be working. I mean, seems to be uh, obviously have some deals with what webtoons and some other places. Webtoons where he used to work. Well, I think I guess. he has deals with the individual creators. I don't. Oh, think exactly. With the individual. Well, you know, yeah. yes, because actually, in the story I did about webtoon, they don't actually keep the rights to this. They no, give they the print rights to the no, creators. They don't. Be- huh? Really? Well, that's a, they didn't back when Tom was working. They there. don't. I'm saying they don't. Oh, they don't. Yeah. 
So this is because they really don't see themselves in the print business. However, that is starting to change. And Tapas and some other others, uh, particularly with uh, was it Michelle Wells now at Tapas? I think we're going to see uh, more print deals. But I think we're going also going to see more kind of comics deals. But I think that this is a brilliant idea. The comics that he's using are have millions of fans. I mean, the kinds of traffic that these sites are attracting to these comics, it's jaw-dropping. Right. And uh, you, we may not know about them in the print world, but we will because there are huge fans of them out there. So, yeah, and, and, you know, each one, I mean, obviously, um, you know, Kickstarter is a very proven model for all of this. Um, uh, so they, there's a comic called Let's Play that has, you mm-hmm. know, 4 million followers, uh, $355,000 made on Kickstarter. Pretty big. I guess yeah. one of the top 20 Kickstarters. Um, I'm looking at some of their other, I'm trying to see, but you know, these make like 50,000, 60,000, uh, you know, they make a nice little tidy sum and yeah, yeah. what a great, a very smart model. And you know, it's an incredible he, model. It's really smart. And you know, they are moving into tabletop gaming. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and I asked Tom many times, but you know, why did you keep so quiet? He was just like, you know, we weren't, why, why should we toot our horn when we're not, you know, we're not quite ready yet. And, Imagine um, that online. Did you yeah. actually actually put your business model together and start making money before you start like, you know, yeah. shouting to I, the rooftops? You know, their latest <laughs> book is the croaking, yep. the croaking, the croaking by Megan Gray. Uh, it's still got 19 days to go. Uh, Sixteen hundred percent funded. Already made fifty thousand uh, dollars. So you know, it's a great, it's a, a pretty strong model. And uh, Tom obviously has the connections and the the vision to do it. So, good so you run a Kickstarter. You run a Kickstarter campaign for a print version of a comic that has enormous <laughs> popularity online already. Yeah. <clears throat> so. And he is getting bookstore distribution. Mm-hmm. I won't say from who, but I think you could figure it out. He, he teased along there. I wonder who that might and be. I like wonder who it might be. Could it be the company that's uh, hoovering up all the other small publishers? Maybe I don't know. Uh, but um, yeah. Anyway, the point is no problem. Like you can be a startup that is just based on Kickstarter and you can get a bookstore distribution deal. There you go. Well, speaking of Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. There's more. (laughs) So, uh, what, Kate, you want to, you want to roll this one out? The Keanu goes berserk? Well, (laughs) so. I don't think it was a mystery to anyone who has been in a comic shop in the last 10 years what Keanu Reeves was fishing for when he helped bring out a comic, which had uh, a main character who looked an awful lot like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, well, the studio's got the same message. And it has, within in record short time, been snapped up for not only a movie, but a movie and animation deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Berserker, B-R-Z-E-R-K-R, uh, is the comic. Uh, you know, Keanu, his idea. A lot of actors have ideas, I've heard. Uh, anyway, on Kickstarter, it made $1.4 million. Okay, successful. Yeah. Now, what is interesting about this story to me is that, uh, again, you know, I only have this 20-year 20 20 stare 
uh, writing about all this stuff. And, you know, celebrity comics have been a staple. Remember Virgin Comics? Okay. Or Techno sure. Comics. You know, there's been all these companies that are like, oh, we have a deal with Letter Nimoy and we're going to do our comic. Or, you know, uh, Virgin was uh, John Woo and... um Oh man, I don't even remember. But you know, uh, 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 uh you know, uh, delightful Rosario Dawson. She had her mm-hmm. comic, uh, you know, OCD or something. Yeah. I forget what it's called. Uh, you know, why are they doing these comics? Because they want to develop a property for them to star in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and what, oh, go on, Kate. And okay, so it's, I think it's, you know, especially now when studios are very wary of doing anything that isn't in some way an established property, be it based on a real event, a uh, book, or a sequel to something else, or a reboot of something else, that an easy way to make your original idea magically into an established property is to make it into a comic. Yes, Mm. now, but that said, here's what's, again, of interest to me. Nothing at Techno, nothing at Virgin, nothing, all of these celebrity comics, none of them ever got actually made. Okay. Now I might be forgetting one or two, mm-hmm. but only in the streaming era. So, so you know, just the streaming is such a huge influ- influence on all IP, uh, and including comics. You know, I, I like I guarantee you that if Berserker had come out from Virgin Comics, it would not be made into a TV no. show and a movie. No. It's, <laughs> the streaming era when people are desperate for IP, and you know, if you're an actor, I mean, I haven't. Talked, but I mean, you must be in such demand now. You know, it's like you. There's so many streaming TV shows. It's like you know, you got to have your pick, and you know, you can choose your pro- projects as you do. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we got Keanu, great. You know, yeah. done, done deal. So, I, so to me, like I predict. Uh, you know, hey, props to Boom. They did a great job with the Berserker Kickstarter. You know, they got a great team. They got Matt Kent to write it, and. um uh, I forgot. Anyway, it was it was a great career. Uh, Matt and Ron Garney. Okay, so yeah, they got yeah, Ron Garney, Bill Kip. So it's a real, feet. real mm-hmm. comic book. You know, it's yeah. a real comic book with with someone who looks like mm-hmm. Keanu. Anyway, I predict we're gonna see celebrity comics come <laughs> roaring back. Well, right. if they can if they can raise hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars on Kickstarter just to get the ball rolling, we'll definitely see a lot more. Yes. Um, so, all right, so we're, we're, we've been talking about this all. We have a couple of really important stories to talk about. Um, and one of them we were alluded to earlier, uh, that, uh, you know, we were talking about Crunchyroll and, uh, you know, AT&T selling them off because, you know, streaming, uh, who knows what streaming is, uh, for AT&T. Uh, that's sarcasm. HBO Max is huge. But anyway, they sold off Crunchyroll to Sony, but, uh, it looks like the Justice Department, uh, is looking yeah. at that, Kate, right? Ah, uh, yes. So, <clears throat> We talk about consolidation, but there does come a point at which even <laughs> even for the Justice Department, which tends to pretend that nothing is a monopoly, some monopolies become a little too hard to overlook. So Sony wants to buy Crunchyroll, something we have spoken about in the past. But the problem is that Sony already owns Funimation. Now, between the two of them, Funimation and Crunchyroll make up mm, the largest part of the anime streaming market in the United Mm. States. Well, the dedicated anime streaming market, Mm -hmm. let's put it that way. Um, So this arguably would give Sony too much control over the industry, which is to say the export of anime. Um, So the Department of Justice is uh has started 
a antitrust investigation. Woo woo! Yes, of the <laughs> planned acquisition of Crunchyroll by Sony, um, because it is rumored to be a one point one seven five billion dollar purchase. Um, and they, okay, here we go. Um, Warner Media and Sony have told the Justice Department that Crunchyroll and Sony's budding empire are just two of many options anime creators have to distribute their shows outside Japan. But the fact of the matter is that the Department of Justice is concerned. Yeah. So we'll see how that yeah. acquisition process goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we know AT&T needs to um, shave off that debt. <laughs> They're trying to pay yeah. down the debt. Yeah. Pay down the debt. And, you know, speaking of which, you know, we're almost out of time for today's episode, but we got to talk a little bit. You know, this was going to be the top story of this podcast. Yes, this episode until <laughs> noon today or 11 a.m. today. Uh, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice yeah. League. Yeah, let's get a few words. Look, um, uh, I didn't watch it four hours straight, but I was impressed. Uh, I watched it over the course of three days, and really, if you really break it down, I mean, if you break it down by character, there's just, um, it, it, it's not, you know, as someone has, I think, written out there, this isn't a director's cut. It's a whole new film. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I saw the first one. I wasn't that crazy about it. Uh, that's not an insight, you know, but, uh, it, it was criticized <laughs> by many. Uh, but really, I mean, for me, uh, this was just kind of a kick-ass superhero movie. I didn't find it boring. Although, yes, it has cringy, sappy parts, uh, throughout. But really, when it's the narrative drive in it, uh, in some ways, it's the, the characters actually for once, seemed so right for the parts that they had. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make great claims for the dialogue, uh, but uh, the characters really embody the people that they're portraying. Uh, I just think everything about it is better. The, the um, uh, Even the fight scenes I thought were terrific. The first fight scene with the Amazons uh, and Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf's, uh, they, didn't they recreate his yeah, they redesigned the armor? So he actually looks cool now. It looks fabulous, you know, you know. Um, but it's great, great narrative drive, dramatic, dramatic action. Uh, the restoration of, of so much of the background of Cyborg oh, really is a powerful part of the movie. Ray Fisher, uh, boy, is, I thought was great in it. Uh, I mean, I, I can go on and on, but I'm going to let my co-host talk about it too. Okay, what did you think? Well, I'm going to roll out something right here, a controversial opinion, which is I liked the original cut of Justice League when it was in the theaters. I mean, I I thought it was very rough around the edges in a way that was very clearly cobbled together from two very different movie ideas um, and definitely showed its rough parts, but I, I had enjoyed it. Um, so I didn't come into this against the Snyder Cut, but I didn't come into it thinking that the theatrical cut was some kind of abomination. Mm. Um, 
and the first word that came to my mind was self-indulgent. Like, I'm not saying that the Snyder Cut didn't have many wonderful additions. I really feel it did. But it is the kind of imperial phase, overstuffed, no pacing kind of movie you get when you make a four-hour superhero movie (laughs) for people who want a four-hour superhero movie. Uh, The pacing was so slow that at one hour and 37 minutes, they were still getting the band back together. I mean, the amount of slow-mo in the movie alone, if they had taken out every slow-mo that wasn't the Flash, it probably would have saved half an hour of film time. (laughs) Um, You know, I I really liked that that, um, Ray got a little more screen time as Cyborg. I really think that was good. Uh, um, I certainly enjoyed some aspects where they gave the Amazons a little more to do. I did think that the fight scenes were interminable and overstuffed and self-indulgent. But, you know, fine. If you're somebody who wants a four-hour superhero movie, maybe that's what you're looking for. Um this cut would have sunk like a stone in the theaters even more than the original because it is four hours long. Um, so, it's It was such a long film that when I tried to download it, it overloaded my <laughs> HBO Max three times before I could download the whole thing. Um, it's It's got some good parts, you know? It, it does. But there are good parts that were in the uh, theatrical cut that I missed. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people are like, good, they got rid of those annoying civilians. We didn't need them. But I actually felt that that was an important addition that really worked for me in the theatrical cut. Toward the end of the um, theatrical cut. The they, Just- had- they call it the Justice League. This is directed to Justice League. So in the theatrical cut, there were some civilians there during the during the giant ending extravaganza so that there were some actual stakes and some actual humans who are in actual danger. Um, and I didn't think that was a bad thing to have. Um, and, and also, quite frankly, at four hours long, the weakness of, of any version of the story is the villains. I mean, they're, they're like, our motivation to destroy Earth is like, we totally want to destroy Earth and stuff. Yay. It's, 
it's not very compelling. But uh, what you is, know what? Okay, I'm not, I am going to jump in there because I, I I do disagree strongly with that. Like the rest, I you know everybody got their own take. But I felt Steppenwolf. You know, in the original, there was no dark seed. There was a dark dark side. Pardon dark me. Side. Dark, mm-hmm. There was no mention of dark side. Whereas in this movie, they made it clear that Steppenwolf was a factotum of dark side. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get in with the boss, and to me, that gave him a motivation. I thought the motivation in the original with the first Steppenwolf was just so oh I'm so boring. Well, I thought, this so, one they actually made him a character. Okay, so I agree. That is an improvement. But I just don't think it was enough of an improvement. Okay, I think in enough. both cases, it was a little lame. Like, it just pushed the lameness back a little bit. Okay, so Stephen Wolf wants to do it because Darkseid wants him to do it. Why does Darkseid want him to do it? I don't know, because he's bad. Uh, and you can kind of get away with that in a two-hour movie. But in a four-hour movie, it really makes the scenes show. Well, you know, I could have used some better villaining. Very clearly, there were never in a billion, quadrillion, gajillion years it released a four-hour movie. We're never going to know what um, what the Snyder movie would have looked like if, if the Warner Brothers hadn't totally misunderstood what the meaning of a superhero movie was and gotten cold yeah. feet, okay? Um, so I'll just say this and, you know, like, uh, I'll say I sat as four hours, like that's a long time to lie on your couch. Uh, so I said, I'm going to start watching this. Well, I'll watch two hours and then I'll take a break. Watch this rest of the deck of yeah. night. I could not stop watching it. I watched Great. the whole movie. I took a little break, you know, walk around, get some, you know, stretch legs to, you know, go to the bathroom, get a snack. But I watched the whole thing in one night. I loved every minute of it. It is, yep. I will say not loved every minute of it, but you yeah. know what? I say Zack Snyder is one of our premier visual storytellers. He is, you know, he has a lot of weaknesses as a filmmaker, but visuals are not his weakness. This movie was as if someone take uh, Alex Ross comic book and animated the crap out of it. Uh, and it just looked beautiful. Uh, I thought all the characters that were expanded were a huge improvement. Even Ezra Miller as the Flash, I could stand him. Now, yes. Kate, I will say, Kate, like you. I didn't mind the original Justice League. I think Aquaman was better in the Weedon version. I think he got him a little better. I kind of no. missed the heavy metal <laughs> bro. Uh, you know about that, but go but, but all the characters in, in Snyder's version were gods. In every scene, they mm-hmm. were gods. They were larger than life. They were deities. It's a super. It's a conflict among the gods. It was the dark side stepping with all of them as the Amazons. You know, there's a flashback to prehistoric times when the Amazons and the Atlanteans are teaming up with the humans. Yeah, in this epic I Lord mean, of the Rings battle. It was. It was epic. This, this movie was just a bag of treats. I, I, I you know, I, yeah. it's fine. I mean, nobody, people don't have to like it. There's a lot of people have also said it's boring. Wasn't boring to me. I'll tell you, it's coherent. I think the thing is a template for how DC should think about their movies. Not that they should be four hours long, but they should be coherent, that the characters should have backgrounds, that you should have characterization. And, you know, maybe you should push push the time limit a little. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I think Snyder really showed that, yes, yes, he's a little pretentious, but you know what? He can tell a story. He, he can tell a story on a grand level, and he loves his superhero characters. I believe me. I, I didn't care much for the, the theatrical release. I thought it was silly. Now that's hard to say because they're all silly. Let's be frank here. But that said, this this story had a great sense of of, of design, character, and narrative drive. It really did. Releasing this movie was the best. Is the best thing that DC has done in a long time yeah. uh, with films. I, I don't want anyone to think like, oh, I'm, you know, saying the Snyder Cut's terrible. I'm not. Um, but there, were, right. there were strengths to both. 
It didn't it land for you. Some of it didn't land. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's fair yes. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yes. You know what? We should revisit this in our next episode. Because yeah, let's let talk tell about you. It yeah, uh, because there's so much more to come at DC Comics. And now, you know, this is totally revitalized their entire <laughs> movie program. Well, this 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 podcast has become its own version of the Snyder Cut. Where yeah. <laughs> we're, getting, we're, we're, we're trying to prevent that, listeners. So, uh, yeah. We're going to have to wrap this one up. But don't worry, there will be more to come.